So look, Twitter's a dumpster fire. Oh, yeah. However, I saw this thread because there's this like, somebody tweeted, what is the most... On-brand thing from your childhood? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I did this. Okay, so what is yours? Okay, so I got in trouble in first grade for telling everyone um, where babies come from. But then in second grade, I got in trouble for telling my friends that I'm an exiled alien snake prince who traveled the stars um, in a microscopic spaceship that landed on my mother's ham sandwich and then incubated inside of her after she ingested me. Oh my gosh, that's so detailed. Yeah, and so like, my mo this most on-brand thing about me that was latent in my, in my childhood is that I will tell you all caps the truth when you are not asking for it or I will tell you absurd nonsense and look you get to decide neither of us knows which one's gonna come out <laughs> who knows it's whatever whichever you is on a given day yep whichever one is in charge of my mouth that day so I think that the most I mean god there are so many uh, but I think one of the most on-brand is that I went to SeaWorld, cried at the manatee exhibit, and then proceeded to write a letter without my parents knowing to President Clinton uh, <laughs> so that I could convince him that the manatees needed to be protected. And yes, they were endangered, but what are we doing about it? Yeah. Uh, and I did get a letter back. Uh, but I think that's my most, I think that's my most on-brand childhood thing because I am someone who like quietly takes something in mm -hmm. and then does something about it but mm -hmm. without telling anyone like <laughs> <laughs> like I did not tell my parents I was doing that but I was driving in the car with my parents when I saw this Twitter mm -hmm. uh, Twitter feed or Twitter thread going around and I said mom and dad what first of all I said what do you think I read them the question which uses the phrase on brand mm -hmm. Did not realize that's like a millennial yeah, thing. Yeah, no, that's My slang. parents were so confused. What does on brand mean? So I tried to explain, and then I said, what are, what are yours? And they could not, like, I still don't know, because they couldn't understand really the question. That's so interesting, um, because it's like, yeah, obviously millennials have been raised among brands. Yes. Um, and corporate brands. Yes. And... Instagram like curated brands, yes. social media curated versions of a personality. <laughs> yes. And so when somebody says on brand, like, yes, how do you market yourself? We Which, automatically know what that means. And like, that's so funny that I didn't even think about like generations older than us, like might not understand what no, that means. That's what was so funny. Like I just read the question out thinking like, this will be a fun car conversation. Like they'll tell me what's on mm -hmm. brand for me and then they'll, and then I'll tell them like. Like, what's the most quintessentially me thing that yes. happened when I was a child? Yes. Like, where you could see, like, you know me as an adult, but, like, what about me has carried through from, like, a very early memory to now? So then I asked them, right. I was like, don't you think it was me writing a letter to President Clinton? And they were like, no, we think it's that you had a family newsletter called The Busy Bee. <laughs> and you... <laughs> And yes. you generated it every That's month. way more on brand. <laughs> so that's what they said. They were like, so they did get it eventually. They never got it enough to share their own with me, but enough to tell me that what I thought was on brand for me was incorrect. Yeah. It was not the President Clinton. It was my monthly which family is, newsletter. Which is a great lesson in PR and how the brand that you're selling might not be the brand that your customers are yeah. receiving. Yeah. I saw another tweet recently from Pedialyte 
of course. You know this this brand of the what is Pedialyte? Is it like baby actually? formula? It's not a baby formula, but it's for like. Is it to help babies get bigger? I think so. I think, I think I it's had to it's like a nutrition sub supplement. Yeah. Um, for children. Like insure. But for it's like children. kind of, but it's like electrolytes and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's also commonly apparently used by college students after nights of heavy drinking. Because that it gets because me. it gets your like body chemistry back in balance. I'm so old. Um, and so Pedialyte now knows this about itself, and was doing advertising, targeted advertising on Twitter. Um, and the image I saw, it was not targeted to me for the record. This was screenshotted and and shown to me um, by Sonia Soraya, um, Variety television critic. Um, <laughs> it was a shopping cart. With Pedialyte all in the basket, lots of bottles of it, and clearly like beer and other kinds of alcohol in the like actual cart. Um, and the copy said something like, it's not just for kids. Make sure everybody stays hydrated on your night out. Hashtag Pedialyte. Are you serious? I am completely serious. That wasn't a spoof. That was No, real. that was a real ad. Does Pedialyte, th like, are they making that much money from college students? Apparently. And like, guys, like, take an ibuprofen and drink some Gatorade. Like, <laughs> you'll be fine. You don't need to go buy Pedialyte. Hot it take? is for kids. Hot take. Don't drink so much. Hot take. Sure. Welcome to episode 181 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and honestly, these are my favorite kind of episode. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. We did a listener survey a couple months ago now, mm -hmm. and we learned a lot. Um, so much. So much, and it's been so useful to just kind of see listener feedback on like what people like and what people want more of. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I was kind of surprised by at first, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, of course, is people, a lot of people want to know more about what's going on in the store. Yes. Want to hear more specifically from like other people who work in the store because I think I've lost sight, I had lost sight of the fact that this is a store podcast. Yes. It's not a store adjacent podcast. Right. I definitely lost sight of that. But... One of the other things that people brought up is we're always talking about new books and new releases and books that are going to come out in six months, um, which is just the nature of what we are reading here. That goes store. back to being a store podcast. Yep. <laughs> um, and people want to know more about backlist titles, titles that we don't talk about necessarily every week. Um, and so we decided that this week we're going to focus specifically on Titles that maybe didn't come out this year. Yeah. Titles that, are, that have come out over the past few years, a couple classics, but books that we typically just love mm -hmm. and often recommend to customers who are looking for something in the vein of whatever these books are. That's right. So in our store, we sell a ton of backlist titles. Oh, yeah. Which, would you like to tell the people what backlist is? Backlist means anything that's not considered front list. Front list is considered the new books that are on sale right now, the hardcovers. Um, that have come out in maybe the last three or four months. Yeah. Yeah. And most, just, I don't know. I don't know that I would have realized this 
into working at a bookstore. Um, books stay out in hardback typically for about a year. About a year. Uh, unless you're... <laughs> unless you're All the Light We Cannot Thank See. Thank you. I was like, The Nightingale? <laughs> that one too. Yeah. All the Light We Cannot See was on on the shelves in hardcover for like two and a half years. Hillbilly Elegy. Like yep. if you're a bestseller and you're selling in hardback and you show no signs of stopping, publishers are going to take advantage of that. I feel like The Da Vinci Code, whatever yeah. that was, what, 15 years ago now? Yeah. Like it was in hardcover for forever. Ever. So... Anyway, in the store, we actually do quite a mix of front list and back list titles in terms of sales. Mm -hmm. um, but we realized on the podcast, because I am primarily am reading front list mm -hmm. titles, and you too to some extent. Yep. I'm um, primarily reading scholarship, but when I am reading, I'm reading front, <laughs> front list, list titles. titles. Um, and look, that's because of our jobs. Yep. Um, but I have tried really hard this past year to incorporate some backlist titles in the mix, so because I know, too, paperbacks often are more accessible. Yeah. Uh, backlist titles are easy to get from your local library. Paperbacks are cheaper, so that's what your book club is interested in. Mm -hmm. So behold, a giant list of our favorite backlist yes. titles. Um, I literally have, This like, is just some of our favorite books yeah. that are mostly recent. Yeah. Um, authors, I think, too. We both yeah. have some, some authors that we just like who have more or less done no wrong. Okay. Um, and so, like, let's just get things started. We talked about this last week on the show as this kind of sweet spot... Um, for all of the staff. Mm -hmm. We all love this book. I was also just talking about it with my old roommate, Billy, who Aww, Billy. I thought had read this book like when I read it and we had talked about it. But he texted me the other day and was like, I just started reading The Secret History and I can't put it down. This is the best book I read in 2018. And I'm like, you're correct. It is really Because good. it's one of the best books ever written. Mm -hmm. um, Donna Tartt's The Secret History is gripping. So good. It begins with a murder. Mm -hmm. You learn on first page that these college friends, this small friend group, this weird little clique, murder their friend. And the first half of the book is getting there. Mm -hmm. Why did this happen? Um, what led to this moment? And so it's not a spoiler to say, like, this, this book's about a murder because yeah. that happens on the first page. And that's what I love is it's a book that's kind of genre bending because yeah. it's not like a straight up murder mystery. Mm -mm. It's not a straight up suspense or thriller, but it certainly it, has those undertones. It is a mystery and it has a thriller element and lots of suspense. And that makes it a page turner. Yeah. Um, but it's also incredibly well written. It's also college campus, mm -hmm. which attracts me for yep. sure. And me. Um, um, and it's also... It is very literary. It's very intertextual. It has a lot of dialogue with like ancient philosophy, but in a way that isn't inaccessible. Yeah. You don't have to have read Nietzsche to like get this book no. by any means, but it does enrich your understanding. Yeah, I um, think it's great. It's and a you're super right. good it's book. It's one that I almost think everybody on our staff consistently yeah. has read. I don't think Kelsey has read it, and I'm going to no, make her do like that. It. She would love it. Yeah. I know. She can borrow my copy. Um, so that's one that we consistently go to. We are constantly restocking. Well, I was about to say, we can't keep that book in stock because yeah. we all recommend it. And it's it. all, it's like every two weeks we're like, let's get some more copies. Let's yeah. get some more copies. Yeah. Um, what else? What do you um, have? I've got Everybody Rise. So big tone shift. So total shift. Um, the author Stephanie Clifford. She is a journalist, but this is her first book of fiction. Maybe her first book in general. I cannot remember. I just remember, I often tell my husband, I don't always remember names of characters or plot lines, but I definitely remember how a book made me feel. Yeah. Look, I remember Everybody Rise has a protagonist who is trying to fit in. Um, she's graduated her Ivy League college. She's living in New York City. All of her friends are affluent. They have old money kind of backing them up. Mm -hmm. And she is trying to live their lifestyle but without the financial backing right. of her parents. And so you read Good this luck. book. Yeah. <laughs> 
have fun with that. Um, you read this book so mad at this protagonist because you watch her making mistake after mistake. She's just trying to fit in in a place where truthfully she just doesn't belong, but she wants so badly because she was in that culture in college. Right, right. And so she's not ready to give it up. Um, if I get that. Look, yeah. I understand. If you love books about college, if you love coming of age in a big city, I remember reading this book while cooking dinner. Like literally couldn't put the book mm. down long enough. So like I remember stirring and then also having the book, the ARC, like open on my counter because I could not stop reading this book. It is a page turner. Um, I would say well-written beach read. Like you certainly, because of how fast you fly yeah. through it, it certainly could be done like in a beach type setting, but also really thought provoking about money and about what our expectations are when we graduate and when we watch people, somebody, I just saw somebody tweeted, um, I'd like to see, the person said, I'd like to see these 30 by 30, like mm, what, like mm. 30 under 30 lists. I'd like to see their parents' net worth. And it's like, I saw that. oh, Because, hey, here's the thing. Kylie Jenner is not a self-made billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> She's, one, not a billionaire. Two, not by any stretch of the imagined self-made. No. The fact that she was able to invest money that was given to her by her family does not make her self-made. Hot take. Right. Right. At me. <laughs> so... So anyway, this is a fascinating book if you want to think about those types of yeah. themes. I loved this book. It's got a great cover, Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford. Um, the next one on your list is one that I actually would really like to read. Oh, Chris, you should. I know. Um, Loving Frank. And it's a backlist that you only read fairly recently. That's what like I mean. Six this is one of those. Maybe. I think I read this in 2017. Yeah. Um, it is a backlist title that I missed that just never got around mm -hmm. to. So last summer I was in Kansas City at a bookstore. When I'm at a bookstore, I try to buy a paperback book. Mm -hmm. uh, so I bought Loving Frank. My friends loved this book, and now I do too. Great historic fiction. It's about Mamon Borthwick, right? Yes. And Frank Lloyd and Wright. And Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, and about the true tragedy that yeah. I only... Look, and I don't want to spoil this for you. I only knew about this from a Gilmore Girls no, reference. No, this is, this is a historical fact. Like This isn't a spoiler. Like I know, but I want people to go into it not knowing. Okay. It's so much better. Bad things happen. <laughs> Bad things ensue. But Frank Lloyd Wright built a beautiful house and moved his like mistress in there. Yeah. They were having a party and Frank wasn't there and some bad things happened. It looks... Some really, really bad here's things. Here's what I love. I did know what this was going to be mm -hmm. because I knew historically, I knew from the Gilmore Girls reference. So I knew that this was going to happen. But what I love about Loving Frank is that it has this quiet build, yeah. which I'm sure is what it was like in real life as well. Right. <laughs> um, obviously, this is, this is not non-fiction this is historic fiction so right. kind of imagine which that's why historic fiction sometimes is hard for me yeah, because the lines are imagines. quite blurry yeah. yeah but it's imagining conversations and things like that but obviously the author did her research mm -hmm. i think is it nancy horan that sounds right but i'm right. not sure um anyway so you get this slow burn where you know like the undertone is something is gonna happen here you you might already know it because of history um but it just takes a while to get there, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Um, I love this book too because I am not super into architecture or anything like that, but I found myself Googling Frank Lloyd Wright's yeah. houses after the fact. So I know a lot of people who love a reading experience that allows them to, to then go do research yeah. after. Loving Frank certainly does that. And I, and I love Frank Lloyd Wright 
than what a weirdo. that kind of architecture. Oh, super weird. <laughs> what a weirdo. What a weird dude. I took an aesthetics class in college and we watched, we did a whole week unit mm-hmm. on Frank Lloyd Wright and like what he brought to American architecture. Um, it was just so fascinating. Strange guy. And I just became like briefly obsessed yeah. with like a lot of his stuff. And we have a Frank Lloyd Wright house in Tallahassee. Yeah. Have you been? I haven't been yet. I haven't been either. It's so close. Like yeah. when I moved here, I thought it, I was told that it was like 45 minutes away from Tallahassee. It's not. It's not. It's in city limits. It's like on North Monroe. Yeah. Like within Cap Circle. Yeah. Um, so like that's crazy to me. Yes. Accessible. You could yeah. do it. You could at least do a drive by. Yeah. I definitely on my Tallahassee bucket list. Um, another historical fiction, but in a kind of different way that I really like, um, is The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. Oh. If pressed, this is probably my favorite novel. Really? Yeah. Um, Secret History is up there. Brave New World is up there. Um, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe is like top 10, but like Name of the Rose, honestly, is probably my favorite book. Interesting. It is not an easy read. It's very thick. It's about, it's a murder mystery set in a medieval monastery. Oh, of course it is. And it's all these monks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a mystery going on with like books that are disappearing from this library. And they bring in this monk who's like essentially medieval Sherlock Holmes. Um, and I think, I think he's, he's even like William of Baskerville. So like Baskerville is a reference to Holmes. Okay. Um, and they bring him in kind of to solve this mystery. They bring in this outside monk to, to investigate. That and it is, like it could be a movie. It is a movie starring oh, Sean it? Connery. Of course it is. And it's not a good movie. Um, it's a really terrible adaptation of this book. Because it just totally sounds like Hollywood should have gotten a hold of it. Exactly. And they did. The problem is it's a really philosophically rich novel. Oh. And they cut all of the subtext uh-huh. and it's focused only on the plot. And it's just a mystery. And it's not interesting anymore. Uh-huh. Um, they cut all the theological implications of everything happening. Because um, also, like, part of the mystery is based on, like, the book of revelation mm. and like he's following these clues based on like this the killer like a is jordan jones book. it's absolutely a jordan jones book <laughs> now i will say there are like 30 to 50 page stretches where they're just explaining like different monastic orders and like the weird like rules that they live by and those are not interesting even for me a scholar of medieval literature and culture <laughs> they're not super necessary yeah but they're you know but they're part of the book this is a high recommended Jordan Jones, like okay. a five out of five. Chris, like put yeah, this in your hand right now. Yeah, I just wrote it down because I was like, oh, um, people love this it book. is so good. It's also kind of just philosophically sad by the end. But anyway, if you're into a heady mystery, um, can't recommend it high enough. Um, okay, since you told one of your favorite books Please. of all time, one of my favorite books of all time that I actually think you would love is Gilead mm-hmm. by Marilyn Robinson. I have talked about this at length, so I won't go into too much detail here, except to say, if you recently read A Place for Us and mm-hmm. you loved that frontless title, that new frontless title, then you should go back and read Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. I'm not sure anyone currently alive writes about faith Mm -hmm. like Marilyn Robinson, which means in a realistic, raw, and yet beautiful way. Mm -hmm. Um, Gilead is about a uh, preacher who is on his deathbed and he's looking back at his life and he's thinking about his relationship with his son. And um, I adored this book infamously in bed with Jordan we're like in a hotel room he's watching March Madness on the TV and like I'm reading in between because I desperately want to finish this book and I just burst into like 
dry heaving, like sobbing, uh, which I don't often do. And Jordan was like, what is the matter with you? Is everything okay? And I was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever read. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't even that the book was sad. It's just that I thought it was so profoundly beautiful. Um, Marilyn Robinson just has a way with words. I think we're lucky to like breathe the same air kind of yeah. thing. Um, so if you have not read Gilead, um, but you enjoy books with nuanced, complicated looks at faith and religion and the role that plays in people's lives, then I think this one would be for you. Um, on that same kind of wavelength, but in a very different direction, the book of strange new things, my elevator pitch for this is evangelical missionaries in space. Which is a great pitch. It's a way. great pitch. <laughs> you should work for a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> um, but essentially, like, thinking about these missionaries who are trying to bring the Bible and, like, earthly Christian theology into space, um, where they're interacting with alien worlds and alien cultures who don't have these concepts. Which is basically what missionaries do. do. <laughs> Which is why I like things like this. Yeah. So they get us to think about the real world in a different way. Like your shelf subscription books. Like my shelf subscription books. Um, Book of Strange New Things is like nothing else I've ever read. It's so interesting. And fun fact, the first book I ever bought at the bookshelf oh. um, before I worked here. Um, so that is just always a fun one for me to go to. So kind of along those same lines, obviously you and I do like to read, I think, books that take faith and then like twist in it a, a little bit. In a different direction, yeah. Yeah, so I really loved the book and I had forgotten about it till I saw it on my shelf. The Explanation for Everything. Mm -hmm. uh, this book takes a, if I, if I remember correctly, it takes a professor of like biology and a student uh, of faith and kind of their complicated relationship um, that mostly stays platonic, I want to say. I can't quite remember. I just remember their relationship is odd uh, mm -hmm. because he obviously is coming, or he or she is coming from this place of science and reason mm -hmm. and boundaries set there. And then this other, the student, I believe, is coming from a place of faith and how those two interact and their arguments. And I don't know. I just remember reading this and thinking... This sounds like a conversation I would have had, especially when you're a young student, you're a little bit, I think, arrogant and mm -hmm. you think you've got it all figured Definitely. out. But then professors, I think, no offense, also come at things from a certain perspective. Sure. And so it was fascinating to look at that student-teacher relationship. So again, kind of a college campus novel, but also one that takes evolution and biology and faith and talks about it in an interesting way. Um, so the explanation for everything. Interesting. That sounds good to me. You would like that. Yeah. It's been a while. I've yeah. read it, but you would like it. Um, one that we both really liked um, is Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Oh, um, so so this is like close to three years old now. It was, yeah, it was one you and I kind of bonded over. In 20, 2015, yeah. I think. Um, maybe 2016, but I think 2015. Um, it is a novel in stories. Um, each chapter has a different narrator, but they're all about the same character. Mm. Um, she narrates one of the chapters from when she's younger. Um, and so it's all these stories that are unrelated but still kind of tied to a central point um and there are only six or seven of them right like yeah I, yeah it's a short book i think and it's one of those books that i started reading and i was into it and then the end of the first chapter just floored me yeah like total twist and yeah. i didn't see it coming um and i was just totally shocked yeah. um by that twist and i just wanted to keep reading and then i just fell in love with everything in the book i, I 
and that's a book I think I would like to go back and reread. I would love to reread that book. Um, because it's a book that has so many different levels, but you start reading it, and yeah. then that first chapter really does kind of shock yeah. you. And a good one, I think, for PG readers. Like, yeah. I don't remember any explicit content in there. I don't think so. There's one chapter that, like, deals with, like, drugs a little bit, but in a, like, not, yeah. not illicit way at all. Yeah, I don't think anything in it. I think... I think it's a pretty clean book. Could be pretty clean. Um, okay... I also just want to give a shout out to one of the first books I bought at the bookshelf, which was Francis and Bernard. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know, like I'm recommending this book without looking to see if it's still in print. Cause mm -hmm. that's sometimes the tricky part about backlist yeah. titles is if they don't sell, then they slowly disappear. Mm -hmm. Like they, cause they don't disappear. get a, a reorder. They don't get a reprint. So Francis and Bernard, I remember reading, it might've been my first ARC at the bookshelf in Tallahassee. Um, it is imagining the friendship between Flannery O'Connor mm -hmm. and this other author. Um, and apparently she really did have this friendship relationship with this particular guy, but nothing really ever came of it. It stayed platonic. Um, so this book fictionalizes that, but it, it fictionalizes their letters. So mm. it's based in their real relationship, but it fictionalizes their letters. Gotcha. And again, because of who Flannery O'Connor is, you get a lot of themes of faith. Yeah. Um, and a kind of her... You sense a theme here in the yeah. books that we read. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I adored, I just remember adoring this book and I don't even always like books that are letters. Mm -hmm. What are they? There's a word for that. Epistolary. Thank you. I don't always like those, but I do really love this one. And it's a book that I don't think got the buzz mm. it deserved. And it's been years since I read it. So I, I assume it would hold up under scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I found it to be really lovely the first time I read it. My reading experience was really rich. Nice. One that I am constantly telling you to read, and I did finally get Hunter to read, and he didn't love it, but he wanted to reread it in a different mindset, and I'll take that as a win, is Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan. Um, Pulitzer winner. Mm -hmm. um, very, very, very good book. In the same vein as Kitchens of the Great Midwest, in that it's essentially a collection of short stories that are all kind of um, tethered together by like one central character, who's not always the narrator, who's not always the main character, but she does appear for the most part. Um, if Kitchens of the Great Midwest is about food, this book's kind of about music and the music industry, um, but also not really in the way that Kitchens, it's not really about food. Right. Um, it's just your kind of starting point. Yeah, just your kind of starting point. Um, I One day I'm going to make you read this. Um, and so please, everybody else read it too, and then we can all talk about it. Maybe it should be a love it or loathe it. I think, do you remember when we were pitching episode ideas and we talked about doing Tiny Book Club? Oh, yeah. Where we challenge one another to read a book that we're always trying to get the other one to read, and yes. then we talk about that, and we'll air that in August. Yeah. How about you read that? I'll read Gilead. Okay. I put it on my list. All right, listeners. <laughs> this Listen. is how we make decisions on the show. <laughs> sure, publicly. Episode, what, 183 or 4? All right, it's fine. Cool. I'll read that. Um, okay. I also wanted to recommend, um, gosh, I think I'll go with The Age of Miracles. Did okay. you read this? Mm -mm. This is a book, again, I just distinctly, isn't this funny? I don't necessarily remember the name of characters and things, but I distinctly remember where I was when I read this. Yeah, so I was, that's how my memory works. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So I was in my living room in Tallahassee. Um, I worked at the bookshelf as the manager. Those were such happy, easier times. <laughs> um, and so I was laying on my couch reading The Age of Miracles. This is a book that is post-apocalyptic, but like Station Eleven, isn't really about... Mm -hmm the apocalypse like this is a book about what happens when the world is about to end mm. so jordan and i love the movie 
what is it, with Steve Carell and weirdly like Kira Knightley. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Yes, yeah. Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. We love that movie. It is R-rated, FYI. We watched that on Valentine's Day. What an interesting <laughs> Valentine's Day choice. Yeah. Um, but the Age of Miracles, so Station Eleven deals with the aftermath of the apocalypse. Right. The Age and of a Mir- little bit of the build-up, but mostly the aftermath. Yeah. The Age of Miracles deals with what comes before. Mm-hmm. And I adored this book. I remember, it's again, one of those reading experience was, experiences where I just felt like, this writer is talented. I am totally involved mm-hmm. in this world. I don't want anyone to bother me while I'm reading this book. Um, and the reason I wanted to tell everybody about it is because I think this author is coming out with a new book this fall. Oh, cool. So it would be a good time to try The Age of Miracles. And I encourage you to read it even, again, if like the word apocalypse sends like yeah. you know warning signals to your brain. This, that's not what this is about. Yeah, it's not. It's just like you said, the starting point. Yeah. Um, it's kind of what the impetus for it all, but that's not what this book is about. Yeah. Um, I adored The Age of Miracles. I'm so proud of us for not having Station Eleven on our list. You are welcome, everybody. Because, look, we love that book. But you already know to read that book. You already know to read that book. <laughs> that should already be on a TBR list. We and Ann Bogle have told you 1,000 <laughs> times collectively um, to read that book. And if you haven't yet... Sure. Put it on your list. But Just also, I think you're never going to read it if you haven't read it already. So try The Age of Miracles. <laughs> <laughs> um, not not really in that vein at all, but I don't even know if this is out in paperback yet, but I'm going to talk about it anyway because it's The Afterlives and it's the favorite book that I've read in 2018 and it came out in January, so it should be It'll getting be close to a paperback. paperback. Um, I should look that up. It's probably coming out by the end of this year. Look, great love story of this man who in his early 30s has a heart attack um, and gets fitted with this like net around his heart that is monitored by a satellite and becomes really obsessed with the idea of what happens to us after we die. Moves back home, runs into his high school sweetheart whose husband has tragically died and now has this like young daughter and they like rekindle their relationship. That's mostly what this book is about. Mm-hmm. And then it takes a turn in the last 75 pages where we get to explore what life after death is a little bit like maybe. Um, and that's the question. Um, I adore this book. I want to put this book in the hands of everybody I know. It is so well written. It challenged me to think about a lot of different things. And it's a great love story in a really interesting, in unique way, way that I've never seen before. Um, it sees people in a really realistically portrayed relationship with anxieties about one another. Mm. And and, and How difficult. Refreshing. I know with difficult choices they have to make in regard to one another's lives. Like, it's so good. Um, Can't recommend it enough. I'm going to recommend The Imperfectionists, which is a novel, but also it's a short story collection. So it's all about this foreign newspaper. So I was a journalism major. I read this shortly after graduating. Mm -hmm. Adored it. Um, Basically, each short story um, or each chapter is about a different person in this newsroom or... um, or reporter, or, you know, the person who designs the paper, Mm -hmm. whatever. Anyway, I loved this book because I love anything to do with journalism. Mm -hmm. Somebody described, like, um, The Post with Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks as, like, journalism porn. Mm -hmm. Here for all of it, always. Um, I love... God, I love that genre of literature and movies so much. So The Imperfectionist is great. Um, again, if you're looking for something that you could like pick up and put down, um, then I think that would be that would be for you. Cool. Um, one that I talk about a lot is How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. Um, elevator pitch for this one is the story of a, 
a time machine repairman. Um, and so <laughs> he lives in a time machine and he has to go like help other people in their time machines, like get, sounds delightful. get places like when they're stuck. Um, <laughs> it then takes this metafictional turn where it kind of, it becomes about the idea of writing Okay. It turns from like that that concept and into the like Chris twist. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I would have been on board for just that concept, but then it takes a turn into like how to write about ourselves. Yeah. Um, and how he's kind of the repairman whose name is also Charles Yu, is like writing his own life story through this like time travel thing, okay. and has to go and like reckon with like the memory of his dead mother. Um, because he exists outside of time and like what do you do like it it's so interesting and so good and like very accessible uh-huh. like I know that sounds really heady and complicated but I gave it to my freshman students a couple years ago and they all loved it yeah um it's not that difficult isn't and it's fun to just read isn't that what's so fascinating about literature and our jobs yeah is we have to explain these books and you do a really good job of elevator pitches I just am like I love this book here like <laughs> but but it's so hard to explain what yeah. a book is about without making it sound way more complicated yeah, than it actually exactly. is when you try to explain the concept of a book especially one like this it's like uh, um so it's about this yeah. uh but like when you're reading it it all makes sense yeah. and it all like just follows and i've read this book like three times okay um i love this book um okay i'm gonna recommend a book that i love but i know up front it is not for everyone it's A Little Life by mm-hmm. Hani Anagihara. Um, this is a tome. Oh, it's a big old boy. <laughs> it's a big book. Um, I am so glad to have read this book. It is upsetting. It's a bummer. It is depressing. I do not recommend this for you if you like your literature happy-go-lucky. And by the way, I don't judge you Yeah, for no, that. that's great. We live in a tough old world. So like, if you want to read only books with happy endings, I support you 100%. A Little Life is not that book. Yeah. Um, uh, this is the only book I've ever read by Hanya Yanagihara, and I, I'm sorry about that because she writes beautifully. Mm-hmm. And I had never read a book about male friendships that I loved so much. Um, what was that book I read by Nicholas Butler? Love Song? Uh, Shotgun Love Shotgun Songs. Shotgun Love Songs. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Shotgun Love Songs does this too, but in a very different way. Uh, a Little Life ta- does a... A Little Life tackles four very complicated characters and mental illness and what we do when our friends are hurting. Um, It deals with gay relationships in a way that I had not read before. Um, Shotgun Love Songs is like the PG version, Mm. I think, in that it deals with like growing up and going home. Mm -hmm. And again, male friendship. So I read these two books kind of at the same time. But um, So if you want the happy ending version, do Shotgun Love Songs. If you want the complicated, nuanced, heart-wrenching, read it and prepare to be changed and disturbed and and grieved, then go with A Little Life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My last one here is one that I have also talked about a lot. And this one's hard to... Describe and hard to sell. It's one that like nearly universally, un- ah, nearly universally, all of my writer friends like because okay. it's so ambitious and difficult. But Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. Okay. They made a movie a few years ago. Yes. I thought it was fine. Okay. I liked it. It did get butchered at the yeah people by critics and people hated viewers. it. I think it gets kind of unfairly maligned. Mm-hmm. Um, to but be you're fair, a bad, you're a Brad Pitt truther. Isn't he in that movie? Who's no. in that movie? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is in that movie. Tom Hanks is all over that movie. Brad Pitt's not in that movie at all. What movie am I thinking I of? I have no idea. The Tree. 
Oh, Tree of Life. Tree of Life. That's a very different kind of movie. That's okay. Terrence Malick. Have not seen that. Okay. Um, although I really want to. Anyway, Cloud Atlas <laughs> is complicated because it's five books in one, but it's not five sequential short stories. Okay. It's one book in the middle and then half a book on either side of that, like yeah. an Easter egg or like a, like a Russian nesting doll. Yeah. You start with one book and it ends off or it, it ends mid sentence. Okay. And it's supposed to be this like, I remember this journal, about this. Yeah. like by a ship captain. And then it switches into this total, totally different story. That's a series of letters between like this, um, this composer and, and the family that he's staying with. And then it switches again. And it's the story of this man in a nursing home. And then it switches again, and it's a story story in the far future, and there are clones and robots. And then it switches again, and it's Tom Hanks alone on a beach in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> um, and then that one is in the middle, and you read that whole story all the way through. And then it picks up with the robots and clones. Okay. And then it picks up with the old man in the so nursing home. So it's almost home. like somebody wrote a whole book, and then like ripped it up, yeah. and put like part And one. so what's interesting is like, it's all these like... It's it's a it's a ship log. Mm -hmm. It's a series of letters. It's a it's a diary entry. It's like recordings of this woman confessing her crimes, and they all exist in the next story's universe. Like this is a some object that has been passed down and exists in the future, um, and it's so interesting because it deals with like the way that we tell stories and like the nature of the human soul, mm -hmm. and like it's got this kind of reincarnationy. Thing, like maybe these characters existed before and we read them before and so we get to see like them repeating their life choices or maybe like being redeemed for a choice that their previous life had made okay. um the movie does that really on the nose mm -hmm. and makes it very obvious where the book just kind of hints at it which is why books are so often books are, oh my gosh i don't want to say books are better but i know this book sounds complicated but again much like how to live safely like once you're reading it it does make sense mm -hmm. and it is really beautifully written mm -hmm. and the middle story like the third one the exchange the second one the exchange of letters between the composer and the family he's living with is one of the most beautiful things i've ever read mm -hmm. um it's just such a good story that's nested in this like very complicated story well good so if you missed cloud atlas the first time around try please it get it now please um the last one i'm going to recommend is total commercial like com Great. so different from cloud atlas um it's the dante club look if you want a fun but but also creepy uh suspense mystery book then i remember loving the dante club now part of this is because jordan and i did like a half semester or something abroad in italy mm -hmm. so as a result we had to read all of dante um inferno purgatory and paradise um, which worth doing oh the purgatory is absolutely the doing. best part of that whole thing do you think i think i think inferno is the best and everybody loves inferno so maybe yeah. i'm just being contrarian and i do love inferno but yeah. purgatory like when i read it in college just got me yeah like it hit me like there are some parts of that that made me paradise, cry paradise i was not a yeah paradise is, isn't that is, sad yeah but it's it's really heady in a way that's like not fun to read yeah but, but I'm glad I read all Yeah, no, me too. Anyway, so I, at that point, felt like I knew a lot about Dante, even though I probably didn't and don't. Um, the Dante Club is almost like, what is the Brad Pitt movie where it's the seven deadly sins? Is it seven? seven. Okay, so the Dante Club is kind Which of like I that. Love. In that this detective is trying to solve these crimes, and he's realizing that they're killing people how Dante punished mm. people in Inferno. So this is a lot like Name of the Rose. 
Is it? Yeah. Okay. So I loved the Dante Club. Now, again, I think it's really commercial memory, if mm-hmm. memory serves me correctly. I don't know that it's particularly beautifully written. Instead, I thought this was as much fun as murder and Dante can possibly be. Like, I just remember thinking this was a blast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so if, if that intrigues you at all, uh, because Dante's Inferno is so dark, but also people get exactly what they deserve. And then like that in modern times where somebody wants people to get exactly what they deserve, uh, then The Dante Club by Matthew Pearl is for you. Awesome. So I hope you've enjoyed this little trip into the past um, in our little time machine. We might do this again. We might. Um, I think this is probably worth doing every six months. Like, yeah. What are just some books that we I got like? more on my list. I, I also have more on my list. And if I had just looked at my shelves, yeah. I'm sure there are 20, 30 more yeah. that I just love. Um, so we will, we will do this again, but for now, baby got backless. Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. And I think they have a new single out, actually. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content, check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch, where soon we are going to be posting our brief walking tour of downtown Thomasville. Um, If you can also check out our website at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com for a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, something happened, but Annie and I were not here (laughs) to witness it. So it's like, if a funny thing happened in the bookshelf... And Annie wasn't around to hear it. Did it happen? Did it make a sound? I do have one. That okay. happened last week. Okay. So um, we sell these uh, paintings that my aunt does. Mm-hmm. They're paint by numbers. numbers. It's her like retirement project. We sell them for $25. They're, in my opinion, beautiful. Yeah, they're great. So somebody came in the other day and said, oh, this is wonderful. How much is this? And I said, oh, it's 25 And he said, $2,500? Oh wow! And I was like, "Do you think like no. let's think about this for a second? Twenty five dollars. That's twenty five dollars. Second of all, do you think I would have like unframed just <gasps> art sitting around for twenty five hundred dollars? Like, let's take a couple zeros off here. <laughs> that's that's bonkers. I just thought it was funny that his brain immediately went yeah. to twenty five hundred. That's so funny. Yeah, maybe and I not. guess that's art for whatever reason. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week because we are Philistines.